Welcome to another episode of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Manpreet, aka MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on Twitter at MMALOT. And this week we're going over UFC Vegas 14, which was supposed to be headlined by Javier Dos Anjos and Islam Makhachev, but that fight has fallen through. And the shittiest part about that is I did all my research, did all my work, recorded the breakdown. And then went on Twitter and saw that it got cancelled. So there's nothing worse than that. There's absolutely nothing worse than putting in the work that you need to to break down a fight and getting a good feel for it too. And then not even being able to use the footage that you put together for yourself. I went like 11 or 12 minutes on that fucking fight. So maybe I'll just keep it in my back pocket for if they've ever been, if they ever get scheduled again uh, against each other, especially if they're scheduled in a five rounder, because I feel like that was a very important part of that, uh, of that card uh, or that fight specifically. Um, there's been a couple drop-offs this week. So we had Jeffrey Molina versus Zaruk Arashev. That got dropped. Uh, we had uh, Kanaka Murata. She was supposed to fight Lavinia Souza. That fight drops out. And now Murata's fighting uh, Rana Marcos. And then also, I believe, yeah, uh, Brian Barberena got hospitalized for some reason. I'm not 100% sure why. Uh, and now that fight's off too. So uh, we're really scrambling here uh, on, a, a f- on a fight card that a lot of people are saying that's already tough. Um, personally, I like it. I, I don't mind it a lot. I think there's some good spots here, some fun spots, uh, but it, it's it's definitely dwindling. As of this moment, I believe the Komen event was supposed to be uh, Abdul Razak Al Hassan versus uh, Chaos Williams, and uh, they're they're saying they're looking for a replacement for Rafael dos Anjos. I'm not 100 percent sure if they'll be able to find one, uh, you know, on less than six or seven days' notice here. Uh, but it, it let I will let you guys know if they do find a replacement for RDA or even for any other fighter. If there is a new fight that gets put together during this fight week, I will do a breakdown for that. I will link it in the description below. So if you are watching this podcast and it's like Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday, and we've already gotten the fight announced, just look in the link or uh, look in the bio below, uh, and I'll have a link for that breakdown. So you guys can hop on over there and check that out. But as of now, I'm going to be putting this podcast together with. With, you know the last fight being Razak Al Hassan versus Chaos Williams, uh, and whatever fights are are already announced. So, uh, how many fights do we have that will be on this? We got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten fights that will be on this podcast. So, hope that helps you guys out. Um, I do have a good feel for some of the fights on here. I, I'm, I'm still pondering what my lock of the night play is going to be. Uh, but if you guys want to know what that is, the best place to catch that is the Patreon. I'll talk a little bit more about that later. But uh, first and foremost, let's get into the, the betting recap of UFC Vegas 13, which went down this past weekend. Um, and it was a great night. Outside of the one loss, which I'll go over first, so I had a parlay of Kevin Holland, which won the week before, Adrian Giannis, which won the same card as the Holland fight, and then I had Tanner Bozer closing out a two-unit parlay at minus 110. Uh, I got him at minus 253. Yeah, I think by fight time, he was like minus 350, something crazy. And uh, I, I didn't agree with that line. The minus 250 line, I thought was a little bit more on point. Uh, but even that, like it turned out that Bozer really, did, you know, I, I fully expected him to go out there and throw a little bit more uh, volume. And he 
didn't like he literally was just content with uh kicking the head, kicking the lead leg um and and you know not throwing enough on the feet but i feel as though uh the amount of damage he was able to input on on andre Arlovsky's leg not to mention the the volume that he was throwing was more than what andre Arlovsky Arlovsky was able to throw there like all Arlovsky did was like blitz for it, throw a couple shots and maybe one would land, but that happened way too far and few in between. I mean, there's just not enough work from Arlovsky, in my opinion. And here's the funny part. Every single judge gave Tanner Bozer a different round. So one judge gave him round one, one judge gave him round two, one judge gave him round three. So not none of the judges could agree on any of the rounds in that fight. So that just tells you how crazy of a fight that is. So that's minus two units, but... That was the lowest point of the card. We had 1.5 units on Yan Xiaonan to go, uh, at minus 120 against Claudia Godella. That cashes uh, two units. Uh, actually, you know what? I'll save the main event for last. The lock of the night play, we had five units at minus 191 on the under one and a half of Marcos Hajirio de Lima versus Alexander Romanov. And that went down... It was a little bit hairy at first. You know, we saw a little bit more fight from Delima than I expected we were. Uh, but I'm still sold on Romanov. King Kong is still my dude. Anyone out there and forearm chokes Delima with like 20 or 30 seconds left in the round. Solid performance from Romanov. We saw him kind of like fight back a little bit from a little bit of adversity um, and, and do some solid work on the ground just as we expected him to do once he got that fight there. So uh, under one and a half caches, that's plus 2.62 units there. Um... And then uh, the main event, Dog of the Night play, I wish I went even one more unit deeper here. So I had two units at plus 206 for Glover Teixeira. That catches for 4.12 units. And that 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 had me ecstatic. That had me off the moon. And yeah, you know, I did shit myself a little bit when uh, Tiago Santos was able to hurt him in that third round. But we saw the perseverance of Glover Teixeira uh, come through, get the takedown on Tiago Santos and pull off that uh, rear naked choke, I believe it was. Um, but yeah big one for Glover Teixeira um, and he sets himself up pretty much for a title shot if they're able to put that together that'll be great but all in all we end plus 5.99 units for 50 57% ROI on the night that gives us three straight winning events on events that include lock of the night plays and the reason I say that is because we had UFC or sorry Bellator 250 the other week where I had one unit on Douglas Lima plus 141 that was my only bet so when I'm talking about my free and paid pick policy, paid picks policy, it only has to do with events that have a lock of the night play on it. Because sometimes Bellator, I'm just not I'm not confident enough on making a lock of the night play. But I do think that there are value. There is value sometimes on the dogs as well. So I do want to take a shot there. But uh, dating back to UFC 254, where we went plus 2.33 units with Alexander Volkov as our lock of the night play. Then UFC Vegas 12, where we slightly cashed, very, very small cash, but our lock of the night play on Sean Strickland came through, and then obviously this past weekend uh, with plus 5.99 units at UFC Vegas 13. So I'm happy to be back on the paid picks. Uh, just alluding to that, I kind of talked about a little bit earlier with the Patreon, the best way to get the picks, super cheap and very, very helpful for you, boy, because it's getting me to my goal of being able to do this thing full-time, leave the 9 to 5 so I can do the shit full-time um five bucks a month simply put five bucks a month that's pretty much four events a month you guys are getting for you know a dollar 25 each i think my, my math is right, right there <laughs> but um you guys get early access to the breakdown so as you'll see the breakdowns you're about to see are already on the patreon because 
those guys get the perks. They get all my official picks, even when I'm charging the public. And they also get a best bets and prop article um, that I drop every Friday that just outlines the best bets and props. We had a lot of goodies on there this past weekend. One of them being Max Griffin to one inside round three. Came via nasty ear injury, but still cashed it nonetheless. Um, and uh, we also have a Discord group, uh, which is very, very live. Shout out to everybody in the Discord channel. Um, yeah, you know, live event banter. We try to break down any uh, live event betting uh opportunities that we see and then we also have a community picks page where a bunch of people are very very active and you know spotting college football plays or nfl football plays whatever the hell it is all i'm trying to say is that we got a great community on the discord channel which itself is adding value to the patreon now too so that's the best way to get onto that yeah i love the patreon it's killing it now we're roughly at 136 patrons insane i'm so i'm very very happy that we've managed to reach that number but my goal is 200 300 400 500 i want to get to a point where i can just solely you know i don't have to worry about you know locking down uh the the consistent paycheck as long as i got my patrons and my patreon i know i'll be good to go and i can dedicate and devote my full attention to handicapping mma for you guys so that we're able to go out there and make some solid money so once again the link for the patreon is in the link uh, description below make sure you guys check that out support your boys simply put five bucks a month it's the the, the the most value you'll ever get on your fucking money that's all i gotta say all right that's really about it we did the quick thoughts on the card we did the betting breakdown i did my patreon plug and that's about it so let's get into the episode tony gravely versus geraldo de freitas we got minus 185 on tony gravely and plus 160 on de freitas and we have seen a little bit of action come in on geraldo as uh tony gravely actually opened as a minus 215 favorite and now he drops about 20 cents I'm actually off on that. That's 30 cents that he dropped. <laughs> Trying to do my math real quick for you guys. Uh, but yeah, uh, so Tony Gravely, uh, minus 185 favorite. And I think this is a solid spot for him. So let's go over him first. Uh, he was riding a seven-fight winning streak coming into the UFC, uh, capped off with a contender series uh, victory uh, over Ray Rodriguez in a great fight. Kind of back and forth, but mainly Tony Gravely was uh, handling that fight. Um, you know, he was having a lot of success on the ground. Ray Rodriguez was having some sex success on the feet until Tony Gravely decided to turn it on, uh, and he lands a lot of big shots on Rodriguez, drops him, and wins via ground and pound. Uh, the Brett Johns fight, that was a very, very fun fight. It's like a grappler's delight. A ton of reversals, a ton of sweeps, um, and then obviously Brett Johns getting the victory via, via rear naked choke in the third round. Um, and I believe that's that's the third time that Tony Gravely has ever lost via submission out of four losses uh, total. Uh, sorry, six losses total. But let's just take this in. So his last uh, four losses, Brett Johns, not bad. Patchy Mix, who's a very, very highly touted fighter, who just lost in the title fight to uh, Juan Archuleta in Bellator. Uh, Manny Bermudez, very, very high-level jiu-jitsu guy that we all know about. Marab Devalishvili. And then let's just go back to his even fifth one, Ricky Bandejas. Um, uh, via rear naked choke. That one was a little bit weird. So we're, that one was over four years ago. Um, and it seems like he's made improvements in his grappling. Like he went takedown for takedown with Brett Johns, reversal for reversal pretty much too. Uh, but Brett Johns, we already know him. He's a, a very high level fighter, high level grappler. Um, 
And, you know, that was the first time Brett Johns had been taken down outside of an Aljamain Sterling fight for Brett Johns. So that's a big accomplishment for Tony Gravely as well. But I love his style. I love his style of coming forward pretty much all the time, seeking the takedown. His, you know, his striking isn't bad either. He's pretty quick on the feet, has some power in his hands too. So I, I believe he's very trustable on the feet too. Um, and that's where I think that Geraldo would have the slight advantage. Uh, obviously, uh, Gravely would have much uh, more success if this fight was on the ground as I don't think that Geraldo would be able to keep up with the level of uh, you know submission not submissions but like grappling and transitions and and scrambles I think Gravely would get the better of that um, you know Defratos has looked good and there could have been an argument that he won that Chris Gutierrez fight pretty much you know making him 2-0 and in the UFC but here he is 1-1 coming into this fight and he was actually scheduled supposed to, uh, supposed to fight Jack Shore and in steps Tony Gravely but pretty much the similar a uh, similar type of fighter uh, i think jack Shaw would probably have a little bit better top pressure um but i'd give the the slight advantage in terms of striking between gravely and shore i would give it to gravely so i think that's something that defreitas has to worry about a little bit more coming into this fight um but I, I still like Gravely. I, I think he's a solid spot here. Minus 185 isn't too bad. If you don't want to play the juice on him straight, I think he's very, very parlayable. Um, I think De, De Freitas has some potential for sure, but I don't think that uh, this is the fight for him to really go out there and show it. Gravely's been around for a while now too. He's 29 years old. He made his pro MMA debut back in 2015. And in five years, he's managed to accrue over 25 fights of ever experience that's absolutely insane to me that in five years that somebody can put together that many fights but it really seemed like it was coming together for him before that brad johns fight again that was a very close fight too you know it was probably 1-1 going into that third round and brad johns is a high level guy at this weight class so um i think if he's able to go out there and you know pretty much be on par here with brad johns he should go out there and do some work against geraldo i don't think geraldo has great takedown defense uh that's something that he does well himself too though he's good at mixing up his muay thai with the wrestling so it kind of catches his opponents off guard at time uh but sometimes he relies on it a little bit too much like the felipe Colares fight where he was clearly getting the better of the stand-up but he felt i feel as though he thought he was in more danger the longer this fight stayed on the feet but he was putting his hands together very very well felipe had no answer for that but he kept going for the takedowns and pretty much riding that top control there were times where felipe got the reversal and we saw him spend on time on top and that's where i think that tony gravely will have some success i'd kind of be surprised if we saw geraldo successfully complete takedowns on gravely but even if he does i think i trust in gravely's ability to create scramble positions uh and pull off either a reversal get back to his feet or get a takedown of his own so i do like gravely to win this fight i think he wins a via decision he has a, a ton of finishes on his record too, but Defretas seems like a pretty durable opponent. So I would rather go with decision. I'm not sure if I would actually play either prop here in terms of inside the distance or by decision, but I do like Gravely. I think he's really, really fun to watch. Uh, a high-level scrambler, a high-level grappler as well too, and it's going to be very important for him to implement it in this fight against Defretas. So once again, I'm going with Tony Gravely to win this fight via decision. Random Marcos versus Kanako Murata. We got minus 130 on bet dsi for Murata and plus 108 for ronda marcos uh but it does seem like there's been a little bit of steamage coming on through bet online where we got minus 163 for Murata and plus 143 for uh ronda marcos so let's start off with ronda marcos who's coming off a very unfortunate victory or sorry unfortunate loss over mckenzie dern uh that one was a very tough one because you know leading up to that fight all she could talk about was 
I need to stay away from the grappling. It shouldn't be too hard for me to stay away from the grappling. And what the fuck does she do? We see Mackenzie Dren slip, I believe it is. And Ronda Marcos follows her to the feet and gets wrapped up. And then uh, a couple minutes later, she gets armbarred. Um, man, I, I like, speechless. Absolutely speechless. Obviously, I didn't put any money on Ronda Marcos there. But, like, when people in, initiate so easily with Mackenzie Dern in the realm that she wants to get engaged in, it's ridiculous. Just like uh, Hannah Cyphers, who, you know, arguably had way more success than Ronda Marcos did have in that fight before she ended up falling Dern to the ground. Like, I don't know what the hell people are thinking when they're when they're fighting Dern and, and willingly stepping into her guard and willingly, willingly engaging in the grappling realm. It's, it's nothing but bad news if you decide so. And if you think you're going to go in there and out grapple my girl Mackenzie Dern, you're in, you're in for a long night or even a short night and possibly a broken limb or choked out unconscious. But uh, we know what Rana Marcos' game is like. She's always like middle tier level. Her record is 10-9-1, but she keeps exchanging wins and losses here and there where you know she wins one, she loses one, she wins one, she loses one. And now she's lost two fights in a row now. So... Uh, you know, hopefully it, it, this won't be a third straight because that might be her exit ticket from the UFC. But unfortunately for her, this is a very tough fight for her to go up against Kanako Murata, who coming over from the Risen scene and also the Invicta scene, she's riding a very long win streak right now. She's on two, four, six, seven fight win streak. Her only loss came to Rin Nakai. If most people remember Rin Nakai, she was actually in the UFC before, but she was seemingly undersized for the weight class in my opinion uh, but she did end up rear naked choking Murata in the round in round three uh, that fight was contested roughly around 126 pounds and then we saw Murata drop down to 115 for the next couple fights um, and most recently she had two straight victories in um, in Invicta where she won via split decision I thought she you know I thought she won I'm not sure which judge ended up giving it to Emily Ducati uh, but uh, yeah Murata shows a very solid wrestling skills uh, even if you look at her IG she's pretty much in the wrestling room all the time <clears throat> with that said she's going to obviously have to do some work with her hands if she wants to make it to the top of the division as I don't believe that just wrestling will be enough for her to actually you know crack the top five or top ten Luckily for her here, Rana Marcos isn't really anything special on the feet. You know, she she has this weird herky-jerky style where she uh, she allows her unorthodox nature and her striking to be her advantage rather than being a little bit more of a technical striker. You know, she likes to switch stances a lot. She likes to throw kicks. She likes to, you know, be on the outside. Um, but then also we see poor fight IQ from her as well, too. Which leads me to believe that she might just be more than willing to go out there and go grapple for grapple against or or, or takedown for takedown against Kanaka Murata here. Uh, she's going to be in for a rude awakening there as I believe that Murata will have an absolute uh, solid jiu-jitsu advantage here and solid wrestling advantage too. Uh, we did see Dugati throw up a couple of submissions and maybe get a couple of close ones against Murata in their fight. But I don't think we'll see Rando Marcos get anywhere near close to completing any of the submissions either. Uh, I like Murata here. Um, am I willing to play minus 160 though? 
Probably not. You know, if you gave me closer to what that bad DSI line, which is around roughly minus 130, I'd be down with that. Minus 120, minus 130, I wouldn't mind putting a little bit of a play on Murata, who seems to show a very strong wrestling game. And also solid a gas tank for over five rounds. Even though this one's scheduled for three, we know that she can go out there and do it for three rounds if she needs to. She also has a solid uh, jiu-jitsu game in terms of locking up chokes. She has an anaconda choke, a von flu choke, two von flu chokes. <laughs> actually and then uh, a rear naked choke as well too as well as some ground and pound finishes earlier in her career uh yeah i i like her in the spot i think she's gonna be able to get marcos down at will um you know the the parts where it's gonna be on the feet uh yeah the the activity would concern me a little bit of uh ronda marcos however i'm not worried about any power any knockout power or anything coming from ronda marcos here so just as like uh the, the other evening with uh darren elkins and eduardo garagori that one was a sweat for as long as it was on the feet for anybody that had money on darren elkins there this one though it's not going to be like that yeah Murata is going to get her down and yeah Mar marcos might be able to get back to her feet a couple times but again when it's on the feet i don't think it's going to be much of a concern for murata as i do believe she will be able to continuously close the distance continue continuously get her paws on marcos and drag this fight to the ground so i'm going to go with kanako murata to win this fight via uh i can see her pulling off a submission uh or decision but uh i'll, I'll go with the decision to be on the safe side here uh, depending on what the value is on Murata by submission, that might be worth a little bit of a, a poke. But I do like Murata to win this fight via decision. Luis Smolka versus Jose Quinones. We got minus 140 on Smolka and plus 120 on El Teco. So let's start off with Luis Smolka, who is coming off a loss to Casey Kenny back in May. Uh, I believe that was the night I should have gone out there and picked Casey Kenny as my lock, and then I play. However, I got a little bit too cute and uh, tried to play something else. You know what? Just for the fun of this podcast, let's go back and see what I played as my lock, and then I play for that card. Oh yeah, it was the under two and a half for Billy Quarantillo versus Spike Carlisle. Uh, yeah, those guys went to war. Plenty of finishing opportunities, but nothing transpired. So we ended up getting an L there. But uh, Casey Kenny went out there and did absolute work on uh, Louis Moko, who was a plus 225 underdog there. So I probably should have taken the juice at minus 285, uh, knowing what Casey Kenny was capable of. Um, you know, I didn't waste too much time uh, cashing on Casey Kenny afterwards against Haile Yelatang. Uh, but again, this is about Louis Smoka. So let's get over to him. In that fight, I was kind of impressed with what we saw. But if you guys actually even go back to the Ryan McDonald fight, that's where you really start to see the evolution of Louis, Louis Smoka's game. Um, uh, you know, in the Machnell and Sumadarji fights, you saw him kind of just trying to struggle to to get the fight into the grappling realm because we know how good his jujitsu is and uh, how crafty and and successful he has been when he does implement his jujitsu. Obviously, we did see him get submitted by Machnell, so maybe that made him go out there and kind of change up his plan and and start to approach fights differently. And the Casey Kenny fight wasn't going too bad for him. Uh, it was just a, a big shot from Casey Kenny with the counter uh, to really rock um, uh, Louis Smolka there and allowed him to, you know, get that position for the one arm guillotine choke. And uh, yeah, th there wasn't much Louis Smolka could do in that situation after getting rocked. 
But leading up to that, like I said, he looked really good. He landed like 25 plus body shots within two and a half minutes or two minutes of uh, of that fight with, with Kenny. Like it was very, very impressive. And then the Ryan McDonald fight, we saw him just absolutely battering the body of uh, Ryan McDonald. Not really even paying too much attention to the head, just waiting for the opportunity to, to, to switch from the body shots to the head shots. Um I like to compare it to like what I want to be really cheap on uh, on on UFC three or UFC four, whatever it is. Just keep going to the body because more often than not, people just stri- strictly block to the head. They think that it's more damaging to get hit to the head than it is to the body. But you just rip the body, rip the body, rip the body, and wait for the hands to come down and then start bringing those shots up top. And I love that style from Smolka. Like if he's able to go out there and implement that, and then force opponents to go out there and shoot on him, maybe he could uh, counter with a perfectly timed guillotine or. Or sprawling on these guys and and uh, you know t- trying to reverse them when they try to initiate the grappling exchanges. Kinones, um, we know what his style is uh, what, with jujitsu tattooed across his chest, but I haven't been overly impressed with his jujitsu game from what I've seen. Uh, his so his only win out of his last three was against a guy named Carlos Huachin in a fight where Huachin just seemed like a guy that was content with just being the slow plodding guy moving forward, looking for the big shots, whereas Kinones seemed a little bit more comfortable on the feet a lot of movement uh, a lot of in and out movement a lot of kicks as well too and uh, also the the size and reach disadvantage that Carlos Watson was in it was a lot for him to overcome there um, Alberto Quinones did a phenomenal job in terms of sticking and moving and getting out of the way of the big shots and there wasn't really a, any point in that fight where he was really hurt or in trouble even hurt and dropped Carlos Watson in that first round and then in the next two rounds he kind of just cruises I kind of understand why he decided to go that realm or that way just due to the amount of power that Hawachin had in his hands. But in the th- against Nathaniel Wood and Sean O'Malley, who came with a little bit more of a diverse attack um, uh, in, this, in the striking realm, they, it kind of like stumbled and, and completely baffled uh, what was uh, what Canones was able to do. Um, you know, he, he seemed like he was more caught up in seeing what his opponent was doing rather than implementing his own game just like he did in the Carlos Hawachin fight. Um, I expect him to to maybe dwindle a little bit toward uh, against Luis Smoka here in terms of uh, what Smoka is going to be bringing with the hands and and you know the redefined game that we're seeing from from Smoka on the feet and then when it gets to the ground I kind of lean Luis Smoka like as much as people want to big up Jose Canona's jiu-jitsu game just because he has a tattooed across his chest doesn't mean the guy's immune to getting choked out like he got choked out against Nathaniel Wood he was getting close to getting choked out in uh, plenty of other fights too um I'm not completely sold on Canona's here um I think Luis Smoka is definitely the spot um at minus 140, though, I'm not 100% sure if I'd want to go out there and put money on, on Smoka. He did open up at a minus 175, and a ton of money has come in on Kanonos to kind of get that line to to shrink. But if it continues to shrink, like if you give me minus 110, like a, a pick em line here, I might have to put a little bit on Luis Smoka. Like, again, I, I'm, I'm liking what I'm seeing from him, uh, his developments, especially in the striking game, and then just that style of just beating up the body, not really giving too much worries about the face, uh, and then waiting for the face to open up to, to really rip those shots up there and and and, and take advantage. And I feel like Canones is a guy that can kind of get lulled into that game. You know, Smoka isn't as slow and plodding as a Huachin, so he does move a little bit 
bit more. He does push the pressure, and I feel like he'll do a good job of kind of like corralling Canonas against the cage or, uh, you know, into those those corners and rip him shots to the body and then eventually switching it up and going to the head. So, um, yeah, I like Smolka here. I, I think he can get it done. Um, but am I going to go out there and pay minus 140 on Smolka? Probably not. Give me a pick em line or give me minus 115, minus 120 or something, and I'd be a little bit more intrigued. But there's so much else on this card that I'm intrigued by uh, that I don't know if I'm even going to bother risking the money on Smoker. But he should definitely win this fight, especially with this newer version that we've been seeing of him. So uh, I'm going to go out there and pick Louis Smoker. I wouldn't even be surprised if he gets a finish too, maybe second round, third round submission, or even KO once the or or a club and sub. I'm not 100 percent sure yet, but uh, I wouldn't mind seeing what the inside the distance line for Louis Smoker looks like here. Um, if we can get better than like plus 200 or something, that's probably worth the play in itself. But uh, yeah, I do like Louis Smoker to win this fight. I'll say first or second round club and sub, or even just a you know submission straight out. So uh, final prediction: Louis Smoker via finish in the first or second round. Alex Morono versus Reese McKee. We got minus 200 on Alex Morono and plus 170 on Reese McKee. Uh, just of note, Morono did open at minus 240, and we have seen a little bit of money come in on Reese McKee, and I completely understand as to why that is. So let's start off with the second time UFC fighter Reese McKee, who came in on somewhat short notice against Hamzat Chimaev. Uh, you know, for everybody that remembers, Hamzat is the, the hottest shit in the UFC at the moment. Uh, he had that fight against John Phillips, absolutely ran through him and then was demanding a fight shortly thereafter and he got his wishes granted to him. So uh, Reese McKee steps in on short notice and it's kind of like a hazing thing from like, you know, from when you wanted to join a fraternity back in college. I mean, go out there, try to, you know, survive against Hamzat Chimaev, win, lose, or draw, you're in. And that's pretty much what happened to Reese McKee here to get into the UFC uh but the kid's not like half bad like he's okay and um I, I think he could get some solid wins here in the UFC and this is a solid matchup for him against uh, Alex Morono um so the majority of his uh career he has been fighting at lightweight uh but the fight before the UFC he went up to 170 and he knocked out his opponent within a minute uh obviously he steps in against Hamza Chimaev does not go his way but stylistically a very very difficult fight for him I'm interested I'm interested to know why exactly he moved up to welterweight as I believe at 155 given this frame he could give a lot of guys some issues just as he did in earlier in his career Obviously, he's getting much older now. He's 25 years old, um, but, you know, he's 6'2 with a 78-inch reach. So even for welterweight, that's not a bad frame either. And it's definitely going to show in this fight against Alex Morono, who himself, I believe, is 5'11". Yeah, he's 5'11 with a 72-inch reach. So we're talking about a 6-inch reach advantage and roughly a 3-inch height advantage for Reese McKee. And I think we'll definitely see that come to fruition in this fight. Um you know, one thing with, uh, well, well, let's stick on McKee. He did show good boxing from the outside, good Muay Thai. Um, I love how he uses his range. He could obviously get better and better with using it, but we have seen in the past that he does a good job of sticking his jab out there, making it nice, long, and crisp right down the middle and busts up a lot of his opponent's noses, which is, you know, the, the mark of a good jab. Um if he can keep his feet moving uh, and stay out of the the range of the big shots of Alex Morono, he could definitely have a lot of success here. And I like that plus 170 tag on him. Going over to the great white Alex Morono, uh, given that he's a black belt in jiu-jitsu, you wouldn't really be able to tell that given his last couple of fights. More often than not, he just is willing to go out there and stand and strike with some of these guys. And it's worked out for him uh, in the last three out of four of his fights. 
Obviously, the Chaos Williams, not so much. He goes out there and gets absolutely dusted within 30 seconds. Uh, but before that, you know, the Max Griffin fight had a solid first two rounds. Even in that second round, uh, you can make a statement that he could go out there and get a 10-8. You know, he, he threw a beautiful combination that ended with a head kick that dropped Max Griffin, followed up with a bunch of shots, even a, a spinning elbow that kind of hurt Max Griffin as well, too. A lot of damage in that second round. And you see the growing confidence in his uh, in his striking as well. You know, he, he is a black belt in jiu-jitsu. Um, that's something that he likes to highlight. I believe he even has a, a jiu-jitsu tattoo or a Gracie Baja tattoo uh, on his bicep. Um, but like like I said, in the last three fights, or sorry, before the Chaos Williams fight, he was really going out there and just trying to outstrike these guys. You know, in the Kanan Song fight, we saw a lot more winning, winging shots, a couple kicks here and there. You know, he was the one pouring out on a little bit more than Kanan, uh, but it wasn't a blowout by any measure. Uh, then the Zach Otto fight, we saw him do the same thing, and he he did a good job of dropping Otto and then following up with ground and pound and getting the back and just, you know, not really sinking in the choke either. That didn't seem like something that was primarily on his mind. He just wanted to go out there and just ground and pound Zach. And then, and then the Max Griffin fight, you know, solid good two first rounds and then that third round it seemed like it started to wane on him and we saw max griffin take over get the takedown and and do some solid damage from on top but again we have seen a little bit of a progression and improvement in morono's hands but i think going up against a guy like reese mckee who in my opinion is a little bit more crisp on the feet and has a better understanding of the distance mckee should do a good job like obviously he has to be very much on point for this fight but he should be able to do a good job of like getting his combinations off and getting getting out of the way fully utilizing that six inch reach advantage that he has here um I wouldn't be surprised to see Morono try to go out there and try to, you know, get this fight to the ground and implement his jiu-jitsu to try to get over the striking discrepancy here. But Miki doesn't have horrible takedown defense. And let's take the Hamza Tumaya fight out of our head. You know what I mean? That guy's going to take down pretty much 95% of the guys that he faces. Uh, Miki on the regional scene seemed like he had pretty good takedown defense. You know, he, he does a good job of digging for underhooks and then spinning and pivoting out of the way and getting off the cage and then start to implement his striking once again. And I think that's where Morono might have some issues here morono not the greatest takedown artist but a really good jiu-jitsu artist and that's where the the discrepancy for these jiu-jitsu guys really comes in because every mma fight starts on the feet and if they're not able to get it to the ground they're gonna have a hard time on the feet but like i said earlier in the breakdown morono is showing a little bit more confidence in his hands and obviously the work he's doing over there at fortis mma with save sayud is really paying off for him this is a good task for him though to really see if okay his striking is up there and and his striking should continue to improve and the confidence should continue to improve but i think that mckee might have him outstruck here so um i do like the plus 170 on mckee i think that might be a dog play for me here uh you know morona hasn't really blown my hair back regarding any you know uh, anything in his career thus far um he went into that uh, chaos williams fight as a minus 400 favorite and gets absolutely dusted chaos williams obviously fighting later on in this card uh but yeah he should have had a good a good fight in there with chaos williams but he just got caught with a huge shot um i'm not sure if mckee will be able to put him away most of mckee's victories have come via finish as well so that's something to to look forward to um his gas tank has looked good when he has gone into the third round which hasn't been too often uh but yeah he, he's another guy that's definitely improving every single fight uh alex morono 30 years old reese mckee has five years less on him uh but he's been fighting for a while now too he, he turned pro in 2015 he made his first amateur fight in 2013 alex morono on the other hand 
turned pro in 2010 and had his first amateur fight in 2009. So um, experience-wise, obviously, it goes towards Alex Morono, obviously, being in the UFC as much as long as he has, had some tough fights, had some good moments. But Reese McKee, I think, is still improving, and I think he has a solid edge in the striking department here. So um, it, it depends on, like, I believe in his chin. I think he should be able to, to withstand any of the shots coming from Morono's way, but I believe that most of those shots will be coming at the end of... Uh, Morono strikes which may not have as much power or pop on them so I do like my key here uh, I'm not sure if he'll win by finish though the Morono is definitely durable Chaos Williams has a ton of power and I don't think that McKee has that type of power but maybe in the second or third round we'll see McKee turn it on a little bit more and possibly get a later finish so I'll go at Reese McKee to win this fight via third round finish TKO probably uh, and I think he's a solid dog spot here um I think a lot of people are really shitting on McKee because of the Chamaya fight, but you kind of got to just take that fight out of consideration here as I don't believe that Morona brings as much uh, similar fighting style as uh, Chamaya does. So once again, I'm going with Reese McKee to win this fight via third round TKO. Ashley Yoder versus Miranda Granger. We got minus 115 on Yoder and minus 105 on Granger. And this fight has pretty much been at a pick this entire time, uh, or at least for this past week. Yoder did open up as a minus 125 favorite. And we have seen the line pretty much, uh, you know, just hover around that pickup line. Uh, so let's start off with Ashley Yoder uh, coming off two straight losses now, a split decision loss to Randa Marcos. And then in her last time out at UFC 252, she lost a decision to Lavinia Hanat Souza. Um, that was a fight where I actually picked Yoder to win. You know, I thought she she would do a good job of, you know, doing her work on the feet, uh, landing her kicks, landing her punches, keeping the distance. And if this fight did get into the grappling range, um, you know, I thought she was slick enough off her back to be able to, you know, make things a little bit dicier for Souza. But Souza did a good job on the feet. You know, that's where it primarily played out. And I thought that that's where Yoder would have a, a solid advantage, given her reach and height and all that type of stuff. But, uh, you know, Souza did a good job of closing the distance consistently and landing some big shots. Um, good leg kicks as well, too. And that really was uh, where Yoder seemed to a little bit frustrated. Didn't really know what to do in those situations. Here against Granger, you know, I think she's going to... She might have to deal with the same type of thing. You know, Granger isn't the worst off of her back. And yes, she did get submitted by Amanda Lamos last time around. But uh, I, I do think that uh, Granger has decent jiu-jitsu. Um, you know, uh, I think we'll definitely see a much stronger version of her than her showing against Amanda Lemos. Uh, and I th primarily think that this fight is going to take place on the feet. And I kind of give the slight advantage to Miranda Granger, who, who showed in the fight against Hannah Goldie that, you know, even when she's fighting a power puncher like Goldie, who wants to keep the fight on the feet, she does a good job of keeping her distance, doing her, you know, having good kicks, having good punches, keeping the range, keeping moving, uh, and, and dishing out damage for, you know, over 15 minutes. Now, now against Ashley Yoder, yeah, the, the the let's see what the the the, the heights are going to be. So we have five seven and sixty eight inch reach for a Miranda Granger, five seven and sixty six and a half inch reach for Yoder. So, like my man Mike Goldberg says, virtually identical. Um, but I think that Granger might have the advantage on the feet here. I think she's a little bit more busier on the feet. I think Yoder looks a little bit lost at times on the feet. Um, but yeah, it, to, to say that I have a strong read on this fight, I'd, I'd be lying to you guys. I'm not 100% sure which way it's really going to go. I do lean the Granger side as I do feel like I've, I see a little bit more upside with her. Um, she's 28, Yoder's 33. Uh, I do feel like Granger is definitely getting better on a on a fight-by-fight -fight basis. Obviously, the Lemos fight didn't really show us much there. But you know, I think Lemos is going to be a, a, a solid person in that division. Uh, so maybe that loss in the end is not going to be too 
bad on Granger's record. Uh, but that was the first loss in her career too. So that's something to to keep in mind that she's going to be bouncing back for her first ever loss uh, against a girl who's seven and six. Um, I've always liked the order. You know, I thought she always had some potential, especially with her her weird jujitsu style. But it's never been super effective, and I don't think it's going to be effective here against Granger either. So I do think we see Granger keep this fight on the feet for the majority of it, and do some work on the outside with some solid kicks with her movement, uh, and just kind of just shutting down Yoder. Um, who knows what Yoder's been able to put together in the gym? You know, she's working over there, I believe, at the Dan Henderson training facility, uh, working with Sam Alvey and some of those guys over there. But I'm just not 100% sold on her and her progression and the improvements we see from her because we don't see many uh, on a fight-to-fight basis from Yoder. So uh, here's hoping that Granger is better than what we've seen last time around. Uh, but yeah, you wouldn't, you, you, you're not going to catch me betting on this fight at all. It's it's kind of like the Bevan Lewis and Tra- Trevin Giles fight from the of the week um where i just don't have trust in either woman here so i i will go with granger as uh, you know for the sake of giving you guys a pick but uh you know if you guys go out there and bet granger and she loses don't come back and shoot me in the face or anything like that so once again i'm going to go with miranda granger to win this five year de- decision as i believe that her her striking should give her the the edge here Kay Hansen versus Corey McKenna. We got minus 220 on Kay Hansen and we got plus 180 for the Dana White Contender Series alum, uh, Corey McKenna. So let's start off with Kay Hansen. She's coming into this fight with a 7 and 3 record. Uh, definitely more tested when it comes to more quality opponents uh, for, for Kay Hansen. So she makes no bones about it in terms of what her game plan is for pretty much every single fight she wants to drag you down and she wants to implement her high level jiu-jitsu game you know one thing she's really good at is when she goes for takedown she's good at uh, taking the back of her opponents and whether that's you know trying to sink in the hooks and and pull off a rear naked choke or going for an armbar or triangle choke like she did against Jin Yu Fry more often than not she's quite successful with it um one advantage I think she'll have in this fight is I believe she'll be the stronger of the two, which I believe will play a big factor in this fight. Just like in the Jin Yu Fry fight, I thought that Fry was a much stronger fighter, but eventually the the, the jujitsu and the grappling of Kay Hansen caught up to her. Yeah, that first round was a little bit skeptical for Kay Hansen, and it shows that she's still trying to make improvements in the striking realm, uh, but you know, much better than what we've seen from uh, earlier in her MMA career. She made her debut back in 2018, sorry, December of 2017 when she was pretty much 18 years old. Uh, both women starting their MMA careers very, very young, and we're seeing the evolution of the game as we see uh, every fight go by. You know, like I said, for Kay Hansen, she is going up against the, the higher level of competition. Aaron Blanchfield, Sharon Jacobson, and even Jin Yu Fry in her last fight is a very, very solid opponent. But she's showing improvements every single fight. Like I said, I I think she is going to be a huge wrecking machine when, it, when she really achieves her full potential and even gets even stronger as well, too. Uh, I believe this fight is taking place at 115 pounds. That's correct. But she can go up to 125 if needed. Um yeah, she, she's a strong woman for sure, and her technical abilities on the ground really make her a tough go for most of her opponents. Um, you know, Corey McKenna, on the other hand, she's coming from the cage warrior scene, but she did spend most of her time and has spent most of her time over there at Team Alpha Male doing good work with Uriah Faber and the team over there. You know, her IG is pretty much full of pictures of her, you know, in, in the Sacramento area training with high-level opponents and definitely working on her game every single day. Um 
she did have her most recent victory over Vanessa Demopoulos or in the contender series where it just seemed like Vanessa was more than content with just laying on her back and trying to throw her up submissions. Whereas I feel like Kay Hansen will be a little bit more uh you know looking for reversals uh compared to just like clinging on to a uh you know a triangle that's probably not going to happen or an armbar attempt that's probably not going to happen i feel like Kay hansen is a much better jiu-jitsu player than vanessa especially when it comes to the mma game uh you know i do say that there is skeptical competition on Corey mckenna's record uh, you know the only loss she has on her record is against a girl named mccall disegni uh disenia i should say uh, and most people would remember her for losing to Mallory Martin on the Contender Series, I believe, last year or the year before that. Um yeah, that was a close fight. It was a split decision, but uh, I thought McColl did a lot better work on the feet, and that's what should have given her the decision. Whereas, you know, Corey was trying to drag the fight to the ground, and McColl did a good job of getting back to her feet and then making her pay. Um, Corey just seems to lack a little bit of strength, and I've seen in, obviously, her IG posts that she is trying to hit the weight. She's trying to get stronger, and as that is probably one of the weaker parts of her game. Uh, but that seems to be the part of her game that she wants to do is like kind of go the same way about Kay, Kay Hansen, get her opponents down uh, and try to do some damage from on top. Um, you know, her, her striking looks like it could use a little bit of work. She does look a little bit stiff at times. Um, I think she definitely excels when she's in the top position when she's on the ground but i think that's going to be a little bit hard for her to establish against a girl like Kay hansen who's quite active off of her back really good with uh reversals really good with getting back to her feet and then obviously really good at you know ending up on top so i think Corey mckenna is going to have a lot of trouble here trying to deal with the grappling of uh Kay hansen and i completely understand why she's a minus 220 favorite and now normally a lot of people would be like oh why would you go out there and spend money or risk money on somewhat low level or entry level mma fighters but i think that there's a huge discrepancy here with Kay hansen and Corey mckenna especially when it comes to the jiu-jitsu realm if you look at Corey mckenna's ig as well too and i'm taking a lot from ig just because i feel like there's a lot of content there for mckenna uh obviously outside of her actual fight tape itself but she is spending time with sarah mcmahon which is something to 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 keep in mind too with that said, I don't think that uh, McMahon is a high-level grappler or high-level jiu-jitsu player. Yeah, she's a high-level wrestler, uh, so maybe she's getting better work and trying to figure out how to get the fight to the ground. But that's where Kay Hansen wants it. So even if Corey goes out there and tries to go for a takedown, I'm sure she'd be happy with just pulling guard and uh, you know, kind of just uh, uh, being comfortable with being able to pull off a reversal or a sweep or pulling off a submission herself. Um, yeah, I'm I'm on Kay Hansen here. I really like her in this spot. I feel like McKenna still has a lot of work to do, and I'm kind of surprised that uh, Dana White was happy to like sign her. You know, we we're we're used to wanting to see higher level of uh, competition or or a more. Uh, persuasive performance from a fighter to get into the contender series like it's kind of a joke that she actually got into the UFC off of that performance like it was more of Vanessa Demopoulos just giving up uh, you know just lying on her back and 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 letting McKenna have the top position rain down some good shots from on top and then obviously getting the better of the striking exchanges because Vanessa wanted pretty much nothing to do with that going out there just doing fucking cartwheels like what the hell was that um so yeah, I definitely think the, the experience advantage goes to Kay Hansen. The grappling advantage goes to Kay Hansen. The striking is a little bit of a watch, in my opinion. I've seen Corey have a little bit more success in the striking realm, but I'm not going to go out there and say that she has the much better striking than Kay here. Um, in terms of camps, obviously, Corey McKenna being at Team Alpha Male, and Kay Hansen does a lot of her work out of the 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu uh, school, I believe, in Fullerton. Um 
Yeah, I think it all balances out with Kay Hansen being the one that deserves to be the two to one favorite, and maybe even a bigger favorite too, because I feel like the strength is going to play a big va- uh, factor here too. And uh, yeah, Corey has kind of just been muscled to the ground at times as well. Uh, in one of her fights, where uh, I think it was against Julia or Fanny Redmond, where she kind of just got like twisted to the ground, like like pushed almost to the ground. So I, I'm not the most uh, impressed with Corey McKenna's uh, takedown defense either. But then again, she more often than not, her opponents aren't trying to take her down. Vanessa Demopoulos is the closest one, but she was just happy to pull guard. So uh, I think we'll see Kay Hansen pull off a submission here. I think she will have the better of the jiu-jitsu uh, or even go out there and pull off a decision. But I think uh, the jiu-jitsu is where the whole package is going to come together for uh, Kay Hansen, and she should be able to get a, uh, a submission victory here. Again, I'm I'm more impressed with her going out there and uh, arm-barring Jin Yu Fry than her actually accepting this fight against Corey McKenna because, in my opinion, this is almost like a step back for Kay Hansen, but it is what it is. They're both roughly around the same age. They're both young women, but I do believe that Kay Hansen is the much better fighter at this point in time, uh, especially with the amount of experience she's been able to accrue over here on the Invicta scene compared to what Corey's been getting over there in the Cage Warrior scene. So I'm once again, I'm going with Kay Hansen to pull off a submission victory. I'm not 100% sure whether it's the first or second round, but I definitely do like Hansen to win this via submission. Eric Anders versus Antonio Ahoyo. We got minus 140 on Eric Anders uh, and plus 120 on Antonio Ahoyo. And this line has steadily dropped since it's uh, since it actually came out. So minus 225 was the opener on Eric Anders. And we've seen steady money come in on Antonio Ahoyo here. And I absolutely agree with it. So let's start off on the your boy side with Eric Anders. Uh, last time out, he lost a decision to Christoph Chaco. Before that, you can make an argument that he lost a decision to Gerald Mearshart as well. Uh, let's talk about the Jotko fight, though. We saw, uh, you know, w- we saw the flaws in Eric Anders' game. And that's one thing that I've always tried to, like, wrap my head around in terms of what makes Eric Anders good. Yeah, I mean, we've never really gotten that answer. Uh, he managed to, like, put together a streak where he was able to, you know, headline a, a fight night against Lyoto Machida. And then he goes out there and loses a split decision in a fight where I believe he was a big un- uh, favorite. He was minus 225 in his 10th ever fight against Lyoto Machida. Say what you want about 2018 Lyoto Machida, but man, that in hindsight, that was probably a really, really bad spot. Uh, then he goes out there, uh, just barely beats Tim Williams, then goes on a three-fight losing streak, goes out there and beats Vinicius Mojea, and Gerald Mearshart beats uh, Mearshart, and then loses Christoph Jotko. So now he comes into the UFC. I believe he was 8-0 coming into the UFC, uh, not to mention coming off a big win over Brendan Allen, who's doing his own good things in the UFC now. Uh, and now he finds himself with a 13-5 and record. So in the UFC alone, he's gone, what is that, 4-5? and five? That's not impressive at all. Um, the Jotko fight really showed off his... Uh, his lack of striking ability like yeah he's a big striker and 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 likes to knock out guys and tries to look for those finishes but you know when it comes down to the mechanics of it and the technicality of it Christoph Jotko definitely exploited him there uh that's where you saw Eric Anders really start to like push po- opponents up against the cage try to overwhelm them with his strength and his athleticism as I believe that those are his only good traits uh you know he's explosive he's athletic he's strong he's a big dude too I believe he used to play football as well so I'm sure he's taken that physicality from that game and bringing it over here to MMA um but it's not going to work against guys that are technically much better and are able to, you know, 
dig on her hooks and get off the cage. Uh, you know, Christoph Jotko did a good job of staying away from him. Uh, he did get caught up in the cage at times, but he did a better job of getting off the cage, you know, landing his strikes from distance, really making Eric pay. Uh, and I think that Antonio Hoyo is absolutely capable of doing the same thing here. Now, my question with Ahoyo is, if Eric Anders decides to not just like hold him up against the cage, but decides to take him down, uh, how good is he at <clears throat> continuously getting up? I don't think Eric Anders has the greatest top position, so uh, I think Ahoyo should be able to get back to his feet if he is taken down. Uh, and that was my concern in his fight against Andre Munez, who seemed to have a lot of success with getting uh, Ahoyo down. Obviously, Munez is a high-level jiu-jitsu guy, uh, so you got to credit Ahoyo for being able to stay out of most of those submissions. Um, I, I do like Ohio here, and I absolutely understand why the line is moving as much as it is. I may have missed the best line, but I still think that there's value on Ohio at any plus money, as I believe as a as an overall mixed martial artist, I think the guy is much better. He's a big guy too, so Eric Anders, let's talk about his size. He's six one with a 75-inch reach, whereas Antonio Ohio on the other end is uh, a 6'3 with a 73 and a half inch reach so we're talking about a guy that has a two inch height advantage and it you know doesn't have as much of a reach as Eric Anders but I think the the leg kicks are definitely going to play in favor of Antonio Hoyo here the guy's a great striker he holds his range well uh he has great kicks thud thudding kicks for sure I think that would definitely give Eric Anders trouble here and I think he'll do just as good of a job as Christoph Jotko did in terms of keeping Eric Anders off of him from the cage and then doing his work from distance um I I do expect him to get taken down at least once or twice but I should I do believe that uh I am confident enough in believing that Antonio Hoyo should be able to get back to his feet. So Hoyo is a is born in Brazil, but he actually fights out of Albuquerque, New Mexico, and you can actually see a tattoo uh, on his forearm of that uh, whatever it is, the Sun, New, Albuquerque Sun, whatever the fuck it is. Uh, everybody knows what that logo is. Um, and funny enough, even his topology page kind of looks like uh, he's like Carlo Condit's bigger brother. <laughs> it's fucking hilarious. But uh, yeah, I'd like Ohio in the spot. I think he has a solid chance of springing the upset. Um, and we continue to see the decline of Eric Anders. Like I think he, it was like perfect time, perfect moment for him to go out there and get those two first wins that he got in the UFC against, uh, who did he beat? Uh, Rafael Natal knocked him out in the first, and then he got a decision victory over Marcus Perez, and then he finds himself in the big time, headlining a show against Leona Machida in, in Brazil, and obviously loses that fight. So, um, all in all, I think Ohio has all the chops to get this fight done. Uh, I like him to win this fight via decision. Um, you know, again, it's going to be pertinent for him to keep the range, and even when uh, Anders closes the distance, that he gets off the cage as soon as he can and start, you know, landing his kicks, landing his punches, um, and just showing a better overall game than what Eric Anders has been able to show um, as of late. So, <clears throat> once again, final prediction: I got Antonio Hoyo via decision. Dontel Mays versus Roki Martinez. We got minus two hundred on Dontel Mays and plus one seventy on Roki Martinez. Let's start off with Roki Martinez, who's actually uh, coming off a loss to Alexander Romanov, uh, and he took that fight on super short notice. If most people remember, uh, that was the week where Alexander Romanov, the week before, was actually supposed to fight Hajirio Delima. Delima comes down with the vid, and uh, next week, uh, you know, the UFC is quickly able to get to, uh, Roki Martinez to come over. Uh, you know, pass all of his COVID tests and then go in there with Alexander Romanov. And I think people, 
uh, underestimated his durability, myself included. Uh, going into that Romanov fight, it had been close to 10 years since uh, Martinez had been stopped, uh, excluding the uh, the elbow cut that he got, or sorry, the cut on his forehead that he got from uh, Krokop, um, which again, in my opinion, if you guys remember me breaking it down last time, uh, I didn't think it was the worst cut out there. So, um, you know, luckily for Krokop, he was able to pick up the victory there. But uh, yeah, that wasn't a bad cut at all. Considering what we've seen in the past, that was not a bad cut. Anyway, so Romanov goes out there, arm triangle chokes him uh, with not much time left in the second round. A lot of people expected him to go in there in the first, or uh, Romanov to go in there in the first round and absolutely dust him. And yeah, he got him down. He slammed him a bunch of times, had a bunch of submission attempts as well too. But uh, Roque Martinez did a good job of just staying out of pretty much everything, surviving pretty much. Uh, but he had no answer for what Romanov was throwing at him. Uh, this is a better fight for him in terms of being able to showcase what he's actually about. Um, it's still tough to really get a read on how good, if at all, this guy is. You know, he's 34 years old, so this is probably the peak he's going to be at. Uh, but his his victories haven't really been the most impressive. Like his last three victories alone are um, over opponents with a combined record of 30 and 29 <laughs> i mean not to mention the last two wins that he has are over guys that were you know 40 plus years old um you know in terms of his style he doesn't seem like a guy that rushes his strikes or anything like that um you know he's more of a decision heavyweight type of guy yeah he has a couple uh, finishes on his record too but he doesn't really do anything with too much emphasis doesn't seem to have crazy power either so that's something to to, to keep in uh you know keep in mind uh he seems durable um he seems like he could take a punch seems like his belly could take a punch too um but in terms of like anything that really jumps out of the page i mean nothing crazy and nothing crazy either for Dante Mays, who's coming off a loss to Rodrigo Nascimento where i in my opinion he showed some pretty poor fight iq um you know he got taken down in that first round did a good job of getting back to his feet avoiding any submissions but in that second round for some reason he's hanging out and clinch uh with uh, Nascimento for some goddamn reason and then we see Nascimento pull off a beautiful trip immediately gets the back and pulls off a rear naked choke and what i find funny is actually if you look in the background, Dana White literally just takes a seat as Nascimento starts to get this fight to the ground and pull off that rear naked choke. So good timing on Nascimento to wait for the boss to come in and then pull off that choke. But in terms of Maze's game, he's mainly a striker, decent takedown defense, but that was definitely challenged in that Nascimento fight. I'm not 100% sure that Martinez is going to want to go out there and take this guy down either. Um, I think this is mainly going to be a striking battle. And you got to say, just based on their physiques alone, that Dante Maze will probably win this by being able to be a little bit more agile moving a little bit more and throwing the better shots but martinez might be able to surprise some people here too i am not at all in favor of playing dontel Mays in that minus 200 range or worse than minus 200 um if anything i think the value side is on martinez here um you know he might be able to surprise some people and a lot of people want to shit on him strictly due to his physique but you know he has managed to accrue a record of 15 6 and 2 leading into this fight and he's gone out there 23 times and come out victorious 15 so that that is you know that that's definitely impressive for sure um i'm just not sure what kind of approach he's going to take in this fight with Mays. like uh whether he wants to go for a takedown and try to lay on top of Mays, he's definitely going to have a, a size and 
uh, or at least a, a weight advantage. Last time around, Dante Mays weighed in at 241, and obviously, oh, Martinez came in at 258, so not really 264, but definitely a big, big dude at 5'10 with a 72-inch reach. And then we got uh, Mays at 6'6 with an 81.5-inch reach. So obviously, Mays is going to be much bigger in terms of the size, uh, but in terms of... Um, you know, the weight and, and how heavy somebody's going to be is probably going to be Martinez. So it will be a little bit more difficult for Martinez to close the distance and really get his shots off as long as Mays is able to stay consistent with his movement, keep his feet moving, um, and then just land his shots from outside. But I can't trust his fight IQ, especially considering how we did last time against uh, Rodrigo Nascimento, you know, messing out, messing around in a, in a position where, you know, Nascimento was able to, to to convert it into a takedown and then pull off a submission. So, uh, yeah, I don't trust either guy here. I will lean with Mays just due to, you know, him being the bigger, much bigger guy uh, size-wise. I've seen him move well, um, seen him defend enough takedowns, uh, you know, obviously on the regional scene, not so much on the, on the UFC scene. But uh, yeah, in terms of a bet, I, I don't see it. Even the, the, the fight doesn't go to decision. I think uh, I th actually think that line just dropped. So let's take a look at that real quick. Where is it? Donta Mays. Fight doesn't go to decision. Is minus 385. This could absolutely go to the decision. You know I mean, with both guys playing it kind of safe, Rocky Martinez not really being a crazy knockout artist, uh, and Donta Mays, you know, just wanting to stay away as much as possible. Plus 265 for the fight goes to decision is not bad. I'm actually interested to see whether it's going to be one and a half or two and a half. Because if it's one and a half, I would probably look at betting the over there, um, depending on what kind of what kind of number we get. So. Uh, I do like Maze in this. Not so much to make a bet, though, uh, but I will keep my eye out definitely for the over one and a half in this spot. So, once again, I'm going to take Dante Maze to win this fight via decision. Julian Marquez versus Saperbeg Safarov. We got minus 300 on the returning Julian Marquez and plus 250 on Saperbeg Safarov. And the way, the reason I emphasize the returning Julian Marquez is he hasn't fought since the UFC still had that FS1 deal with Fox Sports. Um, specifically, he hasn't fought in close to two and a half years when he fought Alessio Di Carico, where he lost a very close split decision uh, in July of 2018. And now here he is back against Safarov. I believe he's had to deal with a, a, ming, like a huge amount of injuries in that amount of time. And now he's finally back and ready to go. And I think this is a solid matchup for him to come back to. With that said, you know, Safarov, uh, you know, on his best day could potentially beat a guy like Marquez who's coming back from such a long time off. That's what makes me, uh, gives me a little bit of a hesitancy in terms of saying that, okay, Marquez should absolutely go out there and, you know, win this fight and be deserving of the minus 300 price tag that they currently put on him. Uh, you know, if this is Marquez off of like a six-month uh, layoff or something like that, I'm completely okay with that. And I'd probably say, okay, Marquez... First team, all lock of the night. You know what I mean? But not not this time around. Um, so Safarov's only win in the UFC has come against a guy named Nick Negomorano. Okay, let me try this. Negomorianu. Whew, that was a tough one. Uh, but yeah, he beat him back in March of 2019. And then recently he came back in uh, March of 2020 and lost to Rodolfo Vieira via arm triangle at UFC 248. Then again, pretty much everybody saw that coming. He was a plus 470 underdog going into that fight. So 
pretty much exactly what, what everybody thought happened happened. Uh, so in Saperbeg's UFC career, he's one in four. He lost via punches and elbows to Gian Vellante in round two. Lost to uh, uh, Tyson Pedro via Kimura in round one. Beats Nick Negamarianu <laughs> and then uh, loses to Rodolfo Vieira and then now he gets a, a returning Julian Marquez. Uh, so let's talk about what Saperbeg looks like when he actually wins. When he wins, he's able to go out there and pull off takedowns, able to kind of just lay on his opponent, land some good shots, maybe hold on to the cage a couple times because that's something that just habitually happens for him. Uh, he did get a point taken away from him in that Nick fight, but it did not matter at all as he was just absolutely laying it on that guy. That guy did not look like UFC level at all, even though he was 9-0. But if you just go back and watch that guy's tape, you see the type of opponents that he's going up to. And you can absolutely say that this guy is first team all can crusher. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's that's what could uh, be for, for my man Nick. And I don't think we've seen him in the UFC since then. And I wouldn't be surprised if we never see him again either. But Safarov... Um, it's tough, man. If he's not able to go out there and get his takedowns and really implement his top pressure, it gets a little bit dicey. And I can see Julian Marquez being successful in keeping this fight on the feet and getting his hands off and possibly even finishing Saperbeg in the second round. And that's the spot that I think I'm leaning here. Um, uh, I'm not the most confident in playing Julian Marquez here, and I probably will pass on this just due to the layoff. Uh, but Safrov, in my opinion, is not UFC level. Um, it, it, yeah, I, I don't know what more to say about the guy. Like, I think everybody pretty much has their has their uh, um, their 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 thoughts on Safrov, and it's pretty much all the same. Like, the guy has decent stand up, uh, nothing that will really you know blow your hair back or anything. But it's really him implementing his takedowns, him grinding you up against the cage, and him just riding you on top for him to be successful. But even that isn't like the greatest. That's the issue for him. He, he he's he's not like a, an expert at it. Like he's just he's just good enough to beat guys like a, a like a Nick. You know what I mean? Um, he's not going to be able to do that to Julian Marquez, in my opinion. Who, in my opinion, has also fought much tougher competition, much tougher guys that are you know are that would be able to take him down uh, more than Saperbeg would. And he's been able to get back to his feet and really let his hands go. Like the Phil Haas was a perfect fight uh, for him to showcase that where he's able to endure the grappling of Phil Haas in that first round, then come back in the second round and just absolutely knock him out. And I could see that being the same thing here where Safrov just tries to time and time and time again, try to drag this fight to the ground, but Marquez does a good job of keeping his uh, keeping the fight on the feet and uh, and pulling off a submission from there. Uh, I find it interesting also that that fight was, uh, yeah, sorry, the Decreco fight was at a catch weight, and this fight is at 185. Um... Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think Marquez is definitely a bigger middleweight as well, too. 6'2", 72-inch reach, 6'1", 78-inch reach for Safarov. But once I think we see them side by side, you'll definitely see uh, the size advantage for Julian Marquez. He's a little bit more thickly built, hence the, the smaller reach. But I don't think uh, Safarov has any crazy distance management where you know that 6-inch reach advantage is really going to come to fruition or anything here. So I'm going to take Marquez to win this fight via TKO, probably second round or so. Um, but yeah, it's tough to trust him coming after such a long layoff. Who knows how, uh, you know, insane that the, the, the injuries or how much of an effect they actually have on him. Uh, again, I do like the training camps he, he is out of too. Sometimes he's over there at Glory Kick or Glory MMA with James Krause and, uh, Zach Cummings and those guys. And then sometimes he's over at Syndicate and Extreme Contour in Las Vegas. So I've seen Instagram pictures of him at both spots. So he's getting in that work. He's 
priming himself for his UFC return. And I think he'll get it done against Safarov. But uh, you wouldn't catch me uh, playing that minus 300 here on Marquez. Hopefully we get some people that are confident enough in betting on Safarov and we get a better line on Marquez. But uh, yeah, outside of any like D-Gen parlay or anything like that, I don't think I'll have much action on Marquez here. But I do like him to win this fight via knockout. So uh, yeah, final prediction, Julian Marquez, second round knockout. Abdul Razak Al Hassan versus Chaos Williams. We got minus. Uh, where am I at? I completely. Oh, there we go. Minus two thirty for Abdul Razak Al Hassan and plus one ninety for Chaos Williams. Um, just of note, uh, Chaos is Williams' actual name is Kalen Williams, but he's taking the Shogun Hua route here by changing his name pretty much to chaos williams his nickname is the ox fighter so i find that to be interesting but uh let's start off with him so he had a very successful ufc debut against alex morono where he was um uh successful in getting the knockout within 30 seconds uh of his ufc debut uh and that was pretty much his only path to victory in that fight if most people remember he was going into that fight as a plus 335 underdog a very very heavy underdog going into that fight um and for good reason especially when you look at his tape and even though he only has one loss on his record um you know through 11 fights he only has one loss um you know, the level of competition is a little bit sketchy. You know, Jeremy Holloway is solid. Tony Hervey is a guy that I've been aware of on the regional scene, but there's a reason he was 17 and 19 going into that fight. Just an update on Tony Hervey's career. Now he sits at 17 and 20, so it is what it is there. Uh, but in terms of chaos, is Williams' style. Like, chaos pretty much encapsulates what this guy is all about especially when it comes to his striking game so he likes to go out there he likes to throw winging hooks uh leaving his chin completely out there probably one of the worst technical abilities i've ever seen from a fighter that has a record like this um but he's getting away with it you know what i mean he's clipping these guys he's hurting these guys he's intimidating these guys so that he's able to get the rest of his game going you know we do see him going out there and pulling off uh takedowns and and leg kicks and all that type of stuff and there are certain little things and certain little exchanges that allow him to pull out some of these decision victories and you know questionable uh fight iq from his opponents as well too but i truly feel like a guy that has crisp striking strong striking and heavy power is going to be the perfect kryptonite to this guy and luckily for us as betters we're getting a solid price on abdul razak al hassan who even though he's coming off a loss and a lot of people are thinking oh the blueprint's out there to beat this guy Chaos Williams is not the guy that's going to go out there and implement that type of game plan to to beat my guy Al Hassan here. So I really like Al Hassan in this spot. He has all the things that I'm looking for in a fighter to go out there and beat a guy like Chaos Williams. And I truly think that he's going to put out Chaos Williams as well too. I you know I love the tight guard, tight striking guard that uh, Razak Al Hassan has. Um, he has the perfect type of stance and counter style to go out there and knock out a guy like Chaos Williams who's going to you know try to lunge forward again with those strikes. And there's nothing that I've seen from his you know the Alex Morono fight that leads me to believe that he's tightened it up um I truly believe that he's still going to go out there and swing those shots and think that he's going to knock out Razak Al-Hassan and continue to ascend up the UFC rankings and and you know the popularity is just going to continue to rise but he's going to be in for a rude awakening here I even like Loriano Storopoli in this spot against him too when they're scheduled to fight back in March Obviously, the COVID hit, and now here he is against Abdul Razak Al-Hassan, who has a very, very good shot of beating him. He's actually one of my 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 hardest leans for this card. I really like Al-Hassan here. Um, you know, a little chalky. I don't mind that minus 230. But again, let's not forget that Chaos Williams closed at plus 335 against Alex Morono, and for good reason. So I don't see why, you know, 
going out there and knocking out a guy within 27 seconds should allow you to be a closer favorite to a much tougher opponent in Al-Hassan. But I think that there's a ton of recency, by, recency bias going into this considering Al-Hassan's last loss. So let's go over that real quick. He went out there and he lost to um, Munir Lezez, who was making his UFC debut. And I believe in that fight, uh, well... I'm completely lost on it now. Uh, in that fight, Manuel Lezez was roughly a, a, a plus 250, plus 300 underdog himself. So, uh, you know, a lot of upsets in both of these last fights for both of these guys. But uh, the the style that Lezez brings to the UFC is not what Chaos Williams is about. You know, Lezez uses his range very well. Very good kicks. A lot of confidence in his knees as well, too. Uses the range very well. And his footwork is great, too. Cass Williams, on the other hand, you just watch some of these guys' fights, and it's crazy. Like, he throws himself off of balance when he's throwing some of these strikes, and I think that's just absolute nuts, and that's not going to work against my guy Abdul here, who should be able to catch him with a cleaner, crisper shots. Um, even when Razak Al-Hassan is going out there and blitzing, guys, he keeps his hooks nice and tight. He's not winging them from freaking, you know, the, the, the concession stands. He's actually... He has some technique behind it. He has some crispness to his strikes and a ton of power behind it too. So I'm still fully aboard the Razak Al-Hassan train. There's a reason I didn't bet him against uh, Manur Lezez last time around at minus 350 as I did feel like Lezez brought some good, uh, you know, some good tools to that fight, but obviously not enough for me to go out there and bet Lezez. But it was enough for me to pass on betting uh, Razak uh, at such heavy, heavy odds. But here... I love Al Hassan all the way up to minus three hundred. I think he has a solid spot to go out here and and finish chaos. Um, I th I believe this fight will be chaos. That's for sure. Um, and I'd be surprised if we saw chaos actually land takedowns here against uh, Razak. Yeah, we did see him start to give up takedowns later in the fight against Manure, but that was already after the point that uh, I felt like Razak had accepted that he was going to get finished or or beaten. Uh, you know, he was a little bit more uh, gassed out. He was a little bit more tired. I've don't expect chaos to you know make it that far um and and be able to to capitalize on al hassan and let's not forget the the judo background of al hassan too and we haven't seen too much of it since he's just been using his hammers uh to to get most of his victories uh but uh, it could come into to play here if chaos wants to go out there and try to play the clinch game but uh, i don't see this fight going past the first round I do think that we'll see the, the, the sloppy striking techniques of Chaos Williams exploited here. And uh, Abdul is the, the perfect guy to go out there and do that. So I like Abdul here. He's minus 230 currently. I fully expect that line to get steamed as the fight week uh, progresses. Uh, you know, by the time the, the public hears this breakdown, he's probably going to be even worse than minus 230. But uh, I love him in the spot. And uh, the, this is kind of the, the benefit of being on the Patreon because, uh, you know, my Patreon members are going to hear this as soon as I, you know, turn off this recording and, and post it straight to the Patreon. So they'll be able to exploit this uh, this line where I feel like there's a ton of value still on Razak. So I'm going with Abdul Razak Al-Hassan to win this fight via first round finish uh, and the, the Chaos Williams hype train to come to a screeching halt. Um, but he should still be around to, you know, give us a couple good fights. Maybe throw him in there with another guy that likes to throw some winging hooks and and not really give a shit too much about technique. Uh, but yeah, final, final prediction here. I'm going with Abdul Razak Al-Hassan Hassan to win this five-year first-round KO. And those are the breakdowns. Like I said, I had to put this episode together for a Monday drop, and obviously RDA and Mahachev falls out uh, Sunday night. 
So uh, we don't have an official main event on this card yet. But when that main event is announced, or at least if RDA gets a replacement, I will make sure that I do a breakdown for you guys. Uh, but that will have to be in a separate video. And I'll be sure to link it in the description below as well, too. So if you're watching this on Thursday or Friday or whatever it is, uh, and we already have a main event announced, just look in the link below or the look in the description below. I'll have the link for that breakdown so you guys can enjoy that as well. But uh, yeah, that, that's pretty much about it. Last, lastly, I'm always going to plug the patreon because that's my main squeeze right now make sure you guys check that out link is in the description below you get a ton of ton of perks a ton of perks for a simple five bucks a month that's all i'm asking all right um good luck on your best this evening uh, or this weekend what am i talking about this evening good luck on your best this this weekend uh, i'll see you guys on friday on the odd stream uh for the final weigh-in with my guy uh with my guys just bleed MMA prediction guru and uh, Cody Saftik. And then obviously on fight day, I do the MMA Lawcast live 1 p.m. Eastern. I do 60 minutes. All comments, questions, everything is answered. Uh, you guys just hop in the chat and let's have some fucking fun. So uh, I'll see you guys Friday, Saturday, and good luck with your bets this weekend.